You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It is Tuesday, February the 18th. 2020 it is time once again for t watts and tr here on the built by bama online podcast i'm travis schreier he's tim watts we've got some topics to get into with you on this tuesday we'll also go into the bol roundtable mailbag as we move toward the end of the program but again a lot to sort through on this tuesday tim First and foremost, how was the weekend? How was Valentine's? Uh, did you uh, did you take care of business there? Did you do the right thing by that significant other of yours? No. <laughs> I, mean, I, I did what she wanted. You know, when you get old, it's just a different Valentine's. You know, I've got a theory. Like, if you got to have a great Valentine's, you're probably screwing late. up. You're probably screwing up a lot of the regular year. I try to like keep it pretty level. You know, and the kids said, "What do you What do you get mom for Valentine's Day?" I said, "I got her a house." And four kids. Oh, wow. That's got, to count. That's got to count for more than one Valentine's Day. I don't care how we're grading it. No, she wanted to stay at home. We watched Netflix, did her favorite things. I'm simple. We could get dressed up and go out, or if she just wants to hang around. You know, it, wasn't a, it was a weird Friday night. We had kids scattered everywhere. So uh, it was just us. So that was good. There you go. And you're right. It's kind of like coaching, right? If you're having to really work your ass off on game day, then you didn't put in enough time or get enough done during the practice week. Is that kind of the equivalent? I think so. If I'm buying her diamonds on Valentine's Day, that means I have really not been good the rest of the year. Because I just came off of Christmas and her birthday. Mm -hmm. You know, her birthday's in February. So I was like, you know, at some point, enough's enough, Heather. You've had enough. How about the high school baseball? Did that get off without a hitch or weather or anything? It, it did. The weather was really cold. They were in Oxford. They won their first three games. They were in Oxford Thursday night, and it was chilly. I mean, it was cold, and Oxford's up there, that Chakalaka Park, and they have a mm-hmm. the wind mm-hmm. cuts through you. It's off a lake. It comes off a mountain. It's an awesome venue, but it, it's uh, it's a place where there's a lot of breeze in the winter, and in the summer, it's there's no breeze. So I got to uh, give it up for Oxford, man. And we don't typically do that here on the podcast, but yeah, between the the baseball, they've got a soccer set up there now. It's um, nice. It is one of the more underrated exits on 2059. Tim is uh is right there. That not the Aniston exit, the next exit up heading towards Atlanta. I mean, they've built like this shopping plaza out there that's legit. You got a Longhorn Panera. You got a mellow mushroom right there. Yeah, You've got the RV, the RV outlet, you know, got everything you need right there. Yeah, we played a lot of Cade played a lot of baseball games there. So yeah, they uh um they have everything you need. Like when you get that double header, you know, you got that yeah. two and a half hour break, you're trying to figure out what to do. Oxford's one of those towns you can find something to do. Sit down and eat, shop, grab something. Starbucks. If you, yeah. if you you know, you rip your batting gloves, you can go grab batting gloves. So they did it. They've done a great job up there. Yeah, here's to you, Oxford, on the uh, T. Watson TR podcast. A little shout out to the good folks over there in that Aniston, Oxford area. Um, you know, what we had here in Tuscaloosa on Saturday was a heroic performance by Herbert 
Jones in Alabama's 88 to 82 win over the LSU Tigers. Interesting, Trendon Wadford sort of comes home, the Mountain Brook product. The fans got after him pretty good, Tim, as you would expect. I mean, this is a hometown guy, basically. Uh, an Alabama fan, or at least the family, I believe, pretty pretty much Alabama fans. He goes to LSU. He comes back to Tuscaloosa. He gets booed pretty good. His coach on Twitter, uh, Bucky McMillan, had a little bit of an issue with that after the game Saturday night. That started a little bit of a social media firestorm, but none of that could overshadow the performance by Herbert Jones. 17 rebounds, playing with that injured left wrist, makes a couple of free throws right-handed with his offhand, Tim, and it kind of poses the the question or the, the topic anyway of heroic performances uh, in Alabama sports history. And uh, what did you think of Herb Jones? Where, where, where would you kind of put his uh, display of heroism, heroicism, I guess you could call it, yeah. on Saturday against LSU? Well, con- you know, considering Alabama's sort of been reeling, you know, they've sort of had their backs against the wall, the winds. I've been really hard to come by. They've had a couple of tough losses. It's been a tough stretch. They've been down to as many as like six or seven players. It was huge. I mean, you were watching it. You were sort of in awe, you know, you know, exactly what he was doing. And, of course, Kyra, Shackford, there were several guys that stepped up when they needed him the most. That's a pretty good LSU team. You know, you got – you know, and I don't understand that anybody getting upset. Watford, this is a college game. And, of course, they were messing with Watford, you know. Um I mean, that's just part of it. You know, I think he expected it, and that's part of it when you go out of state. I mean, they would do that in football if you could hear them. I'm sure they're trying to do it from the football stadium, but you can't hear it. Obviously, basketball, it was an effort, so I'm not sure why Bucky had a big issue with that. Um, but, yeah, he was just, it's just amazing. 17 rebounds. I don't even think he played 30 minutes. Uh, just everything. The effort there had a couple block shots. The effort there, everything. And, um, you know, to get that win was huge. You know, they come on a stretch right here where they've got some winnable basketball games. I don't know right now if they're going to make the tournament, but I think this is a tournament team. I think this is a team you want in the bracket and a team that could get hot and make some noise. I think this is a really good Alabama team. And even in their losses, for the most part, are their ugly wins. I've enjoyed watching this team. I love watching this team. I think they're fun. Yeah, even when they don't win games, they're easy on the eye for the most part. And that obviously has a lot to do with the, the up-tempo approach, the 94-foot game that Nate Oates employs. Also, never boring when you're watching a team get it up from the three-point line at about 30, 30 shots per game from out there. Uh, but Kyra Lewis, a, dub, a triple-double at midweek against Auburn. He follows that up with 27 points in the win over LSU. Jaden Shackelford with 26 uh, those guys for their efforts, Kyra, the SEC player of the week, Jaden Shackelford, the SEC freshman of the week. So a nice little sweep of those awards for the Crimson Tide and a one in one week in those games with Auburn and LSU. And you're right. Texas A&M comes into Tuscaloosa on Wednesday night. That's a winnable basketball game. Go on the road this weekend to Ole Miss to take on an improving rebel team under Kermit Davis. So, uh, the opportunity, the path is still there to the NCAA tournament for this team, but at the same time, this still isn't a team that can overlook anyone, including Texas A&M, with Buzz Williams bringing that team in here on Wednesday night. But again, the heroic performances in UA sports history, uh, there are some obvious ones, and I guess you have to sort of 
decide what you're you're talking about the uh the parameters for those type of performances i mean there's there's the kind that we've seen from herbert jones that involve an injury there's the kind that are iconic probably more than anything else Devonte smith and tua tonga Bailoa against georgia three years ago as uh as we all recall a couple of three years ago uh, there in Atlanta, Georgia, Terrence Cody with a field goal block against Tennessee yeah. in 2009. What, what, who do you kind of put up there in that regard, Tim, when it comes you know, to heroic you, performances? When you ask me about that, I don't know if it's heroic. It's heroic to me, but when you thought of like great Bama basketball, do you remember the year Roy Rogers had double-digit blocks against Georgia? Yeah, had triple doubles. I mean, like, was blocking, I mean, 12, 15 block shots in a game. I remember watching that game and the absurdity of anybody trying to get, you know, get to that basket near him with uh, two knees wrapped. You remember Roy had an old man's body at birth, you know, and he was out there blocking shots. And, you know, I don't know if that's really heroic. You know, to me, the biggest play in Alabama history recently Heroic was when Petway cut back door, hit that layup against Florida to win the SEC, Alabama's last SEC championship, right? In those red shoes, yeah. Yes, and and I mean, and and I was at the stadium, you know, the Coliseum, that's one of the reasons it probably stands out, but I saw him cut back door, the feed, you know, the the basket, everybody went crazy, just a great heads-up play um, there. And I remember another game that stood out to me is when – Ron Steele had like close to 20 assists in yeah. a non-conference game. Um, ETSU, you remember that game? Yeah, playing 40 minutes a game, pretty much every time out too, with some knee issues. Yeah, Ron Steele, he was one of the mo- he was one of the best basketball players. All those years I covered AAU, uh, nothing, you know, wasn't sexy at all. Wasn't one of these guys dunking or hanging off the rim or behind the back. But man, that was a basketball player. He was a great player. You know, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade or clue them in that there isn't a Santa Claus, but the Cody block is iconic. But that kick wasn't getting over the line of scrimmage, period, Tim. Yeah. You know? Cody did. Cody, did Cody in the belt loop, I think, did, you know, it, it was so he low. He didn't dazzle us with the old, you know, 38-inch vertical jump either. So there's a, you know, that that That, that, that kick was, was going to hit Julio in the armpit if you know, it didn't hit like, Terrence in the gut. Yeah, yeah, Julio would have had to hope he had his cup on, you know, on that kick. He'd have caught one right. He'd have caught in the Bojangles. But yeah. I, I still, you know, like great plays. You know, I, I remember Sean Alexander almost running for 300 yeah. yards in LSU. That stood out. But, you know, the Protho play obviously was a great one. Um, well, Sean against Florida in Gainesville in 1999, too. Absolutely. In that overtime win. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I carried them. Yeah, <clears throat> There's just been so many. I mean, obviously, Smitty versus Ole Miss recently was just next level domination, you know. But again, it's sort of Ole Miss. I remember the. About uh, Lane Beard punting with an ACL tear back in 2002, yeah. making tackles yeah. while he's doing it. You remember the year D'Amico had 20 something tackles against Arkansas? Yeah, D'Amico. It was like, I mean, like in the mid 20 tackles in one game. It was absurd. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's been so many great. DJ Hall. Against Tennessee, when he set the single game record, he had like 13 or 14 receptions. You remember that first year? That dude was the only guy they had they'd throw to. DJ loved him some Tennessee, too. I mean, before Julio and Amari and these guys, these other guys lit up Tennessee, it was it was DJ Hall. He, I mean, he was the Tennessee killer. 
he had close to 15 receptions in that game, I'll bet. Yeah. And that's when, like, you knew it was all right. You know, it's just you knew who Alabama was throwing to. There wasn't another, really another guy on the other side of the field like DJ. So there's been some great performances for sure. I mean, I'm sure we forgot 20 of Bear them. Bear Bryant played with a broken leg and a Rose Bowl, right? I mean, come on. We can go back as, as far as you want, you know? That's crazy, isn't it? No doubt. And uh, so it's fun to consider. But Herb Jones certainly over the weekend on Saturday uh, authored his own heroic performance, one that from a basketball perspective, I thought you did a good job of outlining some of the previous more recent uh, uh, displays that that we've seen from that regard. But uh, Herb with an all timer in that win over LSU last Saturday. Hey, let's get into some football talk, Tim, and uh, I want to go around the Alabama Crimson Tide. We sort of did that in a State of the Crimson Tide address last week, uh, post-National Signing Day. Uh, We went around this team, but I want to go around the team this week and go to each area and talk about one guy that, in our opinion, needs to take a pretty big step in spring drills coming up understanding it's just 15 practices understanding you're going to go through the summer and workouts and into fall camp and continue some of these competitions at some of these particular areas but I want to start on the defensive side first Tim and let's do it right up front give me a defensive lineman on this roster right now that you think is either likely or and or needs to take another step in his development uh, in these next couple of months? You know, I, I, I'd still like to see Barmore do more. You know, I think that he's got a lot more in him. You know, if you watch him, he's definitely a guy that can get to the quarterback. I think he could have that explosive third year that, you know, puts him on the NFL chart, which is something I know he wants to, you know, something that he's dreamed of, he's aspired for. So but he's got to do the small things. I mean, if you watch him, he's great at finding the ball, getting the ball and beating a guy. It's all the small things he's got to do. And, of course, there's a dozen, half a dozen freshmen that need to step up. You know, uh, uh, Ishmael Sosfer, for instance, should be in shape. Should You know, he's a guy that definitely could have an impact. Very talented kid. Or, you know, Byron Young's another one. I'd probably, and I agree, Barmore has that potential. We talk about third-year guys that pretty much blew up, like a Quinnen Williams, a Deron Payne in recent years. Barmore, he fits that bill, I think. And you said it, just more consistency on an every-down basis. You know he can make the big play, the tackle for loss, the sacks, the quarterback pressures, those type of things. Uh, but can he also you know, take care of business in, in less high-profile situations? In other words, taking on double teams, freeing up teammates to make plays, being assignment sound yeah. on, a, on a snap-by-snap basis. Mm-hmm. I'd go. I'd go softer though. If I had to pick one guy, you know, with with what Alabama needs to get back to right there in the middle of that defense and what we saw from uh, DJ Dale and a, a limited opportunities because of injuries last season and understanding uh, a guy you're extremely high on and Tim Smith is going to hit campus this summer and can play in that interior. I'd say softer is my guy that that could really. Uh, stand to to take another step or two here in the in the next few months yeah just sort of you know and i agree with you just show us show us that potential we're not asking right. you to dominate 
<clears throat> we're just asking to see progress because, you know, you know, we discussed this several times with him coming in so late that he would be a little bit behind. Well, now he's been there a full year um, and he should be good to go. I mean, he should be ready. He should know what he's got to do to get out there and compete. He's definitely a talented guy. He's a big kid. And, and um, yeah, they could use him to step up, especially to lead the way, like you said, for some of these freshmen coming in. Yeah, inside a linebackers where we'll go next. And it's interesting because Shane Lee and Christian Harris played so much football out of necessity in 2019 with those injuries to Josh McMillan and also Dylan Moses. Um, but with Moses and McMillan set to return, nothing's guaranteed for either Lee or Christian Harris. You also have a couple of newcomers in Des Moines Kennedy and Jackson Bratton that go along with Ali Cahoe, uh, Jalen Moody, Markel Benton is a veteran in the program. I'm going to go with Shane Lee. Uh, we, we saw some promise from him as a true freshman thrown into a nearly impossible situation uh, as a true freshman in 2019. But I, I think, you know, I think Christian Harris is a guy that's just going to be tough to keep off the field because of his dynamic ability. Uh, Dylan Moses coming back, you would think is going to be the every down guy for sure there at middle linebacker, got to monitor his progress and his return from that knee injury. Uh, I think Shane Lee, uh, not necessarily in terms of, of, again, that freshman campaign being a disappointment in any form or fashion, but just a continued development there, maybe physically as much as anything else, Tim, is, is where you'll be interested to see Shane Lee come along. Who do you got there at inside linebacker? You know, I, I'm just a huge Christian Harris fan. I thought what he did – Coming from high school, not playing linebacker, what he did early in the year, you know, quickly shown in a couple of games how athletic he was to really struggling sort of the middle of the year. You know, teams isolating him and and finding his weakness, exposing his youth to towards the end of the year. I thought he was playing great. I thought he was playing much better. So I actually think this guy's going to end up a really good football player. I thought he was good last year, especially under the circumstances. But I think, you know, we discussed this having competition having Josh and Dylan and Des Moines Kennedy and Jackson Bratton breathing down his neck, I think it's going to make him even better. Plus, you know, the year experience and the weight room and all that, the kid's fantastic physically. So he's, you know, an extra year learning that position. I got really high hopes for him. Yeah. Outside linebacker, you lose Terrell Lewis, you lose Anthony Jennings, you bring back King Wakuda, a second year player, Christopher Allen, pretty much the veteran of that group now. Jerez Parks has been around for a little while. Certainly um, Ben Davis has been around for a while. Kevin Harris going into his second year in the program has a chance if he can put on the needed weight and bulk uh, that he didn't have a year ago. But in terms of urgency, I think this is a big stretch for Christopher Allen, not just because you're competing with those guys that you're coming back with, but as we've talked about a lot here on the podcast, with what you're bringing in, with what you've already welcomed on campus in terms of early enrollees like Will Anderson and Chris Braswell and Drew Sanders, I think this is a big, big moment for Christopher Allen in terms of his viability as a starter-type caliber player for this team. Yeah, I would agree. Kevin Harris is a guy I like coming out of high school, sort of a sleeper kid. Um I'd like to see him also take some steps and take some opportunities because I tell you what, with these other guys coming, like these freshmen, 
for these young guys coming. These guys that are a couple of years ahead of them really have to step up and bring it if they're coming because they're going to get past. I mean, there's some competitive. You're not going to find guys much more competitive than, than, than Drew Sanders, for instance. You're not going to find guys that want to compete as much as William Anderson and some of those guys. So, yeah, they're going to have to step up. And, again, you know, we go back to that competition. The competition, no one's really yeah. separated their self. You know, you know, Terrell didn't have a great year. I understand he was injured. I thought he had flashes, certainly a first-round potential. Jennings, I didn't feel like that was his best year either. So they, these young guys had a chance to push for some play in time, um, uh, you know, at least to get on the field, and they didn't. Yeah. So I think now, you know, it might be one thing to sort of be complacent behind, hey, we, we're behind Jennings and, and, and Terrell, who are great, you know, great players and uh, have been here for years. But then when you look up and a freshman's passing you, you know, you better get to, you better get to running his speed or, or, you know, just, you know, that's going to be pretty much it for you. Yeah, you figured Christopher Allen in 2019 would really join Jennings and Lewis as a clear-cut option in that top three. That really didn't happen. I think Alabama actually had to play Jennings and Lewis even more than it would want to. Jennings was going to play a lot regardless, but Lewis dealing with the injuries that he had from the previous two seasons, including that knee injury that cost him the 2018 campaign, uh, it never really materialized for Christopher Allen in 2019 so uh big stretch coming up for the bet here in march and april in the secondary at corner uh trayvon diggs no longer around you bring back patrick sertan the second uh you bring back uh you know some some younger guys jalen armor davis has been around a couple of years now working both at corner and star you got marcus banks you got scooby carter you got Brandon Turnage. You've got some numbers. You got Jacquez Robinson coming in as an early enrollee. But I'm going to go with Josh Job. Going into his third year in the program with Diggs moving on, with Shaheen Carter out of there at the star position. Uh, I don't I don't imagine the opportunity being any better than it is right now for Josh Job. So uh with Ronald Williams coming in from the junior college ranks, uh there's some competition that that should be provided there. But uh Job needs to make it happen. Right now, Tim. I agree. He's got some talent. He'd have been my choice, too, and, and and Ronald's another one, I think. He got a Juco coming in two for two years to play two years, so he doesn't have any time to waste. I mean, he's a talented guy. Job's a talented guy. They just got to figure out that secondary. Um, Job's been in the system, you know, a little while now, so he should start getting that advantage. Turnage is a guy I'm really high on. John Battle I love and thought that he – I think he's going to be a good player. He probably took a couple bad angles last year in a – in a couple of games, just rookie mistakes, but I think he's going to be really good. So there's a lot to be determined in that secondary, yeah. in my opinion. I mean, really, you're looking at, you know, Sertain's locking down one side. So, you know, where's everybody else going to step up? Yeah, need some of these other guys like Job and Williams to uh, Armour Davis to really step forward. And, and how that sort of plays out is going to determine exactly how, uh, that defensive staff is able to go about utilizing Patrick Sertan. Are they going to have to play him just at corner? Are they going to be able to move him inside to star in nickel and dime looks? Uh, how everything around him sort of lays out during the spring and into fall camp uh, will go a long way in determining a lot of that. You got to think for Patrick Sertan. Also at safety, we'll move back there. Now you mentioned Jordan battle and how much he was involved as a true freshman uh, certainly in that dime package. I, I think, you know, you look at the numbers going into spring, and I'm 
going to do a position thoughts for, for BOL. That'll show up on Thursday afternoon on the website for our premium subscribers, by the way. Going to really do an overview of the safety position because Xavier McKinney has moved on. Jared Maiden has moved on. Shaheen Carter was a utility defensive back that could give you help at the safety position. By my count, going into spring practice, Tim, you're looking at four scholarship safeties. Uh, Battle, you consider to be the, the primary option among those four. Uh, you also welcome back DeMarco Ellums as a second-year player. Eddie Smith, we didn't see at all, really, last year, uh, going into his third year in the program. And, you know, I think Daniel Wright, as a vet, this is a big stretch for him. I think sort of like Josh Joe, this is where uh, you know Daniel Wright needs to make something happen at this point in his career. No, I agree. There's, you know, I sort of – there's a lot of guys that have a chance to sort of – make their stand, I guess you want to say, if they're going to make it. Um, you know, they're talented guys, guys that have the opportunity. You know, there's no Xavier. There's no Diggs. There's, you know, it's pretty much wide open. They've seen a lot of – some of those guys have seen a lot of talented players ahead of them, and it's their time to step up, their time to shine. I mean, if you look up and it's a guy like Battle and Turnage, you know, you have to wonder what the future holds for the older guys. So, I, you know, again, these are the older guys needing to step up or they're going to get past. And it's also a time of year, right, where if you have a little bit of a numbers deficit at a position like safety, you could see some experimentation. When you've got a surplus, Alabama going into spring, it looks like it's going to have eight scholarship corners. You could see a corner or two cross-train at safety. You could see a guy from the offensive side of the ball maybe get a look at safety in the spring. That's what we typically see in March and April, and Tim, I wouldn't be surprised to see that here, and you know this as well as anyone because you cover college football recruiting as well as anyone out there. you got these summer enrollees on the way at safety. Brian Branch, Malachi Moore, Christian uh, Christian uh, Story. Yeah, so uh, this is the time to kind of get it done in the spring before these, these summer arrivals get here. Oh, absolutely. You know, Brian Branch, that's, that dude's a, that's an athlete. You know, Christian Story is an athlete. So you're looking at guys that Alabama's always sort of coveted, um, you know, and more. That's another one. That's a physical, very physical, good, you know, good looking kid. These are guys that Alabama's going to give a shot. They're going to put them on the field. Now, a lot of this is just going to come down to how quickly do you adjust? I mean, we, we've seen that a lot of times. You've seen freshmen that just take, longer to get the system it's it's a little complicated as i understand it so the ones that get it quicker are going to have a you know have an advantage but in that secondary when you look at guys like turnage and and christian story and all these guys at safety those are some athletes battle um you know these are athletes these are some athletes back there so brian branch one of the best two-way players in the state of georgia and in the south so these are guys that are going to have a chance to play have the skill set, but, you know, who's going to learn the system? Who's going to take over the system? Because you do not. Nick Saban is not going to want to get beat over the top. No. That's, that's going to be a no-no. You know, playing short center is not going to be the right answer on a, a ball off the fence. You know, they're going to be in trouble. Yeah. Deeper than the deepest when you're yes. that uh, middle you're of the a, field safety. You're a, you're a soccer goalie. <laughs> they should not be behind you. You know, and with that, with the numbers at safety – got to think Alabama with that early enrollee crop would have liked to have gotten one of those guys on campus in January and Malachi Moore it looked like for a time there was going to be that guy 
uh, Tim. And so, uh, but we'll see. You know, we, we've seen safeties come in later in the process and, and in summer uh, and get the job done in the past, at least from a complimentary perspective. But in terms of the here and now, yeah, Jordan Battle looks like he's the headliner of that group going into spring. And then you get into uh, Daniel Wright and DeMarco Ellums and uh, perhaps Eddie Smith. Of those corners that you mentioned, though, Brandon Turnage physically, he looks like the kind of guy that could transition pretty easily to safety if that's what you wanted to do with him. He's a bigger corner, physical-looking dude. Jalen Armour Davis kind of has that look to him as well. So, again, uh, won't be surprised by uh, the potential anyway. Uh, to, to maybe look at some other guys in the spring at safety uh, to go along with what returns. Uh, it is T Watts and TR on the built by Bama online podcast. We're going around this Alabama Crimson Tide roster and looking at some guys that we feel like uh, really need to take that next step or two in March and April and into the summer and also fall camp in August. Let's move to offense, Tim, and let's talk about that offensive line. We'll start specifically at the tackle position where the expectation seems to be that Evan Neal going into his second year in the program will perhaps make that move from left guard out to right tackle and uh, possibly backfill for Jedrick Wills moving on to the National Football League. Uh, If you had to pick a tackle, and maybe even Alex Leatherwood as a starter, in your opinion, qualifies uh, from from this standpoint. Uh, who would that guy be? I, I, you know, I'll go with a little bit of an unknown or a guy that hadn't been talked about a lot in Tommy Brown, uh, who's been around a couple of years. He had Scott Lashley leave the program, transfer to Mississippi State as a grad transfer. Again, the expectation being that Evan Neal will perhaps make that move out to right tackle, but uh, this, this could be an opportunity for a guy like Tommy Brown as well. Yeah. You know, for me, I think, I guess it is Leatherwood, you know, he's going to have a big role to fill protecting that, uh, that other side. Um, you know, overall, I don't know if you consider him probably not a tackle, but Pierce quicks, a guy I'm really high on and would really like Versatile. to see him take a step up. And, you know, I don't know if it'd be tackle or guard or center or whatever that is. And we've discussed the combination that, uh, that a flood could use this year, you know, mixing guys up and just sort of mixing and matching, trying to figure out the best five. Um, but quick's a guy I think that could step up, you know, I'd heard good things on his first year. He's sort of guys a small opportunity with only one opening, but to get in the rotation, I think he definitely could do it. He could push somebody. So I wouldn't think yeah. so much tackle, probably interior, but he's a guy that, like you said, is versatile, can play a lot of positions. Yeah. When you, when you talk about, that, that that potential to do a lot of different things. That's Pierce Quick. And, um, you know, as far as those interior spots go, uh, Pierce Quick would be one of those guys. I think Emil Echior, this is a big stretch coming up. He's sort of in between there. He's He's been in the program going into his third year now, so he has that experience, and he knows what to expect. Physically, he's capable of perhaps stepping in there at left guard. But I think a guy like Darian Dahlcourt could factor into all this as well, depending on what you want to do with one or two of those interior guys in relation to right tackle potentially. Uh, And Dahlcourt could be uh, an option there on the football at center. Yeah, I agree. There's several of those guys that sort of fall in that same range. You know, we discussed Landon being able to move to a guard position. Someone took over that center position. Just a lot of options, you know, 
Leatherwood could stay inside if someone could take that other tackle position. So there's a lot of guys that that were that are highly thought of by the staff. I mean, it's been hard, obviously, to crack the starting lineup. I mean, you're looking at those guys. I mean, I mean, I think Deontay Brown might be the the most underappreciated uh, interior offensive lineman in the country. Part of that because he missed a few games, and um, but I think he's you know when you watch that guy, he's a dominating force when you know when he's at when he, when he's at his best. So you got a lot of guys, highly recruited guys that came in and did well. So there hadn't been a lot of opportunity, but you got a lot of guys fighting for that one spot right now. But it's more than just that one spot because it's the offensive line. You need to be ready to grab that next spot if somebody rolls an ankle or you know anything can happen. I mean, you and to get those late reps, you want to get those late reps as well. Yeah, I think depth at offensive tackle is going to be interesting from that standpoint. Uh, even if you do kick Neil out to right tackle, you're right. I'd say with an emphasis on the tackle spots, you, you need to get Tommy Brown up to speed at least as a legitimate depth option, if nothing else. How about tight end where you bring back Miller Forstall? You're going to welcome Carl Tucker, a grad transfer from North Carolina in the summer. Uh, Jalil Billingsley, we saw a good bit of at the uh, end of his true freshman campaign with Forstall out for the month of November. Uh, Billingsley got a lot of valuable reps and there's also major Tennyson, a program vet at this standpoint, uh, who comes back. You saw Alabama turn some offensive linemen into tight ends throughout the course of the 2019 season, whether it was Kendall Randolph and, or Chris Owen. So of those tight ends, Tim, who would you go with as a guy that, uh, needs to make a little bit of a move here coming up? I mean, I think Billingsley's easily the answer for me, but I'll tell you what, I watched Carl Tucker's healthy film and, uh, and that guy's a nice player. He's a real, he's a really, really nice player. Um, could do a lot of things for Alabama, but from a receiving standpoint, I really like Billingsley, what he believes he's an athlete, you know, the few play best plays we saw of him this year were really good plays. I mean, running over people, big guy can catch, can run. We knew there was a learning curve there. Knew he had to learn the position. They all, you know, almost every tight end comes into college, you know, learn needing to learn how to block because they don't do it in high school. I mean, you, you see a lot of these guys, including the most highly ranked guys in the class, you don't see many of them blocking. And uh, that's one of the reasons I liked Caden Carter, Alabama's signee, um, is that he was a blocker. He knew how to block right, right out of the gate. And you know how important that is for Alabama. So I would say – Billingsley, uh, for sure, from an upside standpoint, I think uh, uh, Forrestal is going to be fine. And then I really, really think Carl Tucker could be good if he stays healthy. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a deep group in terms of scholarship numbers. There's just questions in relation to Miller Forrestal staying healthy for an extended stretch, because unfortunately for him, two out of the last three years, that's been an issue. I agree with you on Billingsley in terms of the potential to utilize him in a manner similar to Irv Smith Jr. from a couple of years ago. That's certainly a possibility. You love his upside as a receiver, but you're you're right. There's a reason why Alabama was putting 80 numbers on offensive linemen throughout the course of the 2019 season, and that had everything to do with the point of attack and blocking and those type of things. And that's where I think a guy like Major Tennyson could help himself and probably needs to do just that uh, with Tucker coming in here to go along with uh, Forrestall. Big couple of months to continue to show that 
you know, he can be a dependable every down type option, I'd say, for Major Tennyson as much as anyone else in that tight end room. Let's talk wide receivers, Tim. As we move there, you know what you're bringing back in Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. The expectation is for John Mechie to take another step and jump into that top three. But also a couple of guys were getting into their sort of third and fourth years in the program. When you talk about Tyrell Shavers, six foot six, Xavier Williams, another one of those South Florida prospects uh, that has made his way to Tuscaloosa as a wide receiver. I think one of those guys, Slade Bolden, certainly you're going to have in that mix as well. But I think Shavers or and or Williams in terms of urgency and needing to make something happen, uh, I would go with one of those guys. What about you? Yeah, I really want to see Terrell. You know, Shavers really, you know, dazzled with some of his uh, testing numbers. Although I think they're probably a little bit on the on the the, the player side on, on on which way they favored. Um, big kid, you know. You hear about you hear the discussion about him and you know tearing it up on the practice squad and and everything. You want to see him step up. Mechie's probably the low hanging fruit. A lot of people are talking about him. He's really understanding the position. He's played, you know, played behind some absolute monsters. You know, guys are going first round the draft and who probably will go first round next year. Um, this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I really like to see what Shavers can do. I'm high on the freshman, Tyler Jones-Bell. I think he's going to be a, you know, that poor kid. He didn't have a very good high school quarterback situation. Uh, Went to the All-Star game, didn't have a very good situation. But I think he's that South Florida kid that knows how to get in the end zone. Yeah, and you're going to have Treshawn Holden as an early enrollee jumping into that mix, too. So uh, a couple guys in Shavers and Williams that to this point really don't have a lot to show for their time in Tuscaloosa as far as game production. Uh, but with the departures of Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs III, uh, the chance to move up a couple of slots at least in that wide receiver rotation for some guys. Running back. Talk about no shortage of scholarship options with a couple of early enrollees and Roydell Williams and Jace McClellan uh, coming in to join Najee Harris, Brian Robinson, uh, Keelan Robinson. Uh, Of these guys, uh, I, I guess with Najee coming back, it sort of limits the ceiling in terms of upward mobility. Um but is this a big spring for Brian Robinson more so than maybe even a guy like Keelan Robinson that's trying to maintain at least his status ahead of these newcomers? Where would you go with uh, the guy at running back that needs to uh, to take another step or two? I mean, it, it has to be Brian. I mean, at yeah. this stage, I mean, you haven't really – you had opportunity last year to be the number two guy. Showed us a little bit of flashes, but nothing like we expected to see – and if you look up like Keelan Robinson, I'm expecting him to be better. I think he's a different, you know, change of pace guy. The Alabama staff likes. I like him. He's a I speed love guy. me some Keelan Robinson. He can, he can you know, him. he he can plant a foot, make a cut, and take it to the house. There's not many guys that can do that. Um, so, and then also you got Trey Sanders breathing down your neck. Yeah. 
got these three freshmen and one of those three freshmen are going to be are going to be really good right out of the gate i mean they're basically we're going to you almost consider them one prospect to some degree for this year because one of those three will probably separate from the other so that will be the freshman that is thrown in the mix um so uh yeah i mean i see brian i mean the writing's on the wall you know you're gonna have to get in there and battle i mean he's gonna have to he's gonna have to battle and it's some stiff competition i mean that's a lot of talent uh, on that on that field for Alabama next year. Yeah, and those young guys, it's about as much as anything. Sure, you'd love to jump up in that mix. Uh, Trey Sanders, chief among those, coming off the foot injury and the red shirt. Uh, but as much as anything, position yourself for 2021 because you know that's going to be there. That's exactly you. yeah. That's exactly right. You know, so it's a it's a big stretch for the young guys. Uh, kind of like uh, positioning yourself in a NASCAR race to sort of you know, draft. You, you want to yeah. be drafting Najee Harris so when he leaves, you can hit that slingshot move, Tim, right into the lead. It's there. like it's like those restaurants where you have to wait for them to leave. People just stand <laughs> behind you while you eat. Well, you want to be standing behind Najee because when right. he's done eating, you want to hop in that table. So absolutely, that, that's where you want to be. I know this year you're limited. But you know Alabama's going to play. Alabama's going to play in some games, and they're going to want to see all these kids too now. So these guys are going to be fighting even for those fourth quarter reps. Yeah, you got that four game redshirt rule that helps you there yeah, in kind of evaluating your guys when you got depth like that at a position, don't you? Mm-hmm. I love me some Keelan Robinson, and I, I like to believe anyway. I don't have any proof of this, but I like to think that it was Keelan Robinson's running style and attacking nature in the first three or four games of the 2019 season that eventually got the guys ahead of him running the way they needed to run. You talked about it. Sticks his foot in the ground. The smallest back in the room, okay, was running like the biggest back in the room for the first two or three games of last season. And I like to think anyway that maybe Charles Huff, the running back coach in that running back room, said, look at this guy. He's 5'9", 180 pounds. Watch how he's running the football. Meanwhile, our guys that are 225 are running like Keelan Robinson should probably run. I like to think that anyway. In my own you know, perfect little world that uh, is definitely probably on another planet at times. Hey. In Travisville. That's where that <laughs> Exactly. Travis Travis Land. Vegas. Yeah. Travis Land. Not to be confused with Disneyland, but close. <laughs> Trav Vegas. Hey, let's talk quarterbacks as uh, we talk about players who need to step forward. Um, Bryce Young, obviously, on campus. Bryce Young looks to be making some strides already physically. Mac Jones with documented production as a starter in 2019. Uh, it's got to be Talia Tonga-Vailoa, right, that, yeah. that needs to make a move here. That's a no-brainer. You know, I think it's it's Bryce doesn't really have to show us everything this year. Um, Mac obviously is on the clock, you know, he's sort of shown enough. So Talia is sort of spinning out where he is in the pecking order. I mean, there's a ton of rumors that he's transferring and, and I mean, it's easy to say that. I mean, there was a ton of rumors too. It was transferring, but you know, that family's not just running around and telling everybody their business. So I know it's a pretty smart family and they're going to do what they think's best at the end of the day. So I think it's going to come down to what happens with Talia. You know, if he comes out of the spring with the number one starting job, you know, it's going to be hard to pull him out of Alabama, in my opinion. Um, you know, if he's fourth on the depth chart, you know, it might make it easier to leave. So, Talia's his chance to shine. I mean, he didn't have a lot last year. I mean, between 
Mac being proven, you know, he got a few snaps in, but, you know, he had Mac right behind him, obviously ready to play in games as he did when, when Tua went down. So, uh, yeah, definitely his time, his moment to figure out where he stands. We could wrap this up with a specialist who needs to step forward, but I think we'll just save that for its own podcast. I think we could do an hour on kickers, punters that need to step forward. I, I, I would say if we were going to do that today, uh, I, 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 I would think Skylar DeLong, but you just wonder if that ship hasn't just already sailed altogether uh, in the in the punting uh, punting competition. Uh, Will Reichert obviously coming back from an injury again. We could uh, we could do an hour just on the specialists that need to step forward, couldn't we? Uh, no. <laughs> Tim, I, got, I have nothing yeah. to say. Tim on I have. I'm not saying anything. I, all I know is Bill Riker. When I saw him, he kicked the ball really far and threw the uprights. Other there you that, go. He did. He kicked the crap out of it. It was impressive. Like it was good yeah. to get to his games early to watch him in pregame because he's that guy going back and back and back, showing you how far he can kick it. So I think he's going to be fine when he's healthy. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know what's been dominating some sports news headlines here? of late is major league baseball and specifically its handling of this Astro situation, uh, which leads us to a topic for today's T Watts and TR best commissioner CEO in sports, but also which of those gigs do you think major league baseball commissioner, NFL commissioner, NBA commissioner, uh, maybe you're the head of the NCAA, which of these gigs do you think, Tim is the best in sports uh, and how much harder is Rob Manfred making his look uh, with this Astros saga? Um, I think the one I would want to, I guess that's what I I would want to be the NBA commissioner, I think, because it's just a different level. I mean, those guys, the thing about the NBA guys, I mean, you can make fun of LeBron for being, you know, cheesy or hammy or whatever you want, but these guys understand their crowd, they understand their fan base. Um, most of these guys are doing all kind of stuff off the field. I mean, you know, you know, again, I'm not a huge LeBron guy. I mean, I, 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 the game, I get the game. He's a fantastic player and all that stuff. I'm more of an old school sort of quiet, more of a, you know, a quiet type guy. But I mean, there's no doubt this guy's impact on, you know, the social and the, you know, the people and the kids and everything he does. I think the NBA gets that better than anybody, the players. And then you add a commissioner who understands that and make sure we know they know it. And I mean, make sure that the fans know what they're doing by promoting it amongst themselves. I just think that's the best. I think they're all about the fan experience. Now, they will sit every damn star in a game, which isn't so much about the fan experience as I ran into at the at the Christmas break when we saw the Rockets roll out Akeem Olajuwon and, you know, Clyde, Clyde, the Glide Drexler, everybody else was sitting. But um, I do think that's the best gig because I think they're all on the same page for the most part. This Major League Baseball guy, I don't get it. I can't think of anybody as incompetent as him and proud of it. He's like bragging about how incompetent he is. It's He's like, hey, I'm about to say something even dumber. You know? <laughs> Hey, he can't say anything dumb or hold my beer. Give me that mic. I'm about to say something yeah, dumb. Yeah, referred to the World Series trophy as just a piece of metal. It's is sort of downplaying. Named after the commissioner. He's the commissioner. <laughs> I 
like a dude named Oscar saying that's a dumb name for the award. You know, for yeah. the, that's stupid. <laughs> But I mean, he had to grant he had to grant those Astros immunity to get to the bottom of that thing. Look, I've seen too many. I mean, I've seen too many where they get to the drug kingpin. When you start offering those small guys selling, you know, the, those guys making five hundred eighty thousand dollars a year to testify, they'll testify, especially if they're not on the Astros. And then when you go to a star like Carlos Correa, and I said, we've got these eleven witnesses who say this. And if you lie, we're going to ban you for a year or we're going to ban you for life like you banned Pete Rose. I bet they talk. The whole thing is just they wanted to sweep it under the rug. And, you know, what's funny is that you had when the punishment handed down, there's the initial reaction of what a joke. But then it got real quiet. And then the Astros opened their mouth and you saw how contrite and sorry they were not. And then I mean, Mike Trout spoke. I didn't know he had a tongue till the other day. Yeah. The well, guy's never, he can't talk. The, he just, he's just, you know, he's all about play the game. And for him to speak out, and then, you know, Bellinger, and there's more and more guys speaking out. Um, and I don't get how none of them were punished. I don't get yeah. how none of them were punished. It's just. Immunity. Immunity. And, what did this, instead how long of, was. Instead of Narcos, it was Nastros. You know, it's mean, yeah, basically what it felt like. I mean, how they long. Rolled. Was, his investigation included interviewing the Astros for 30 minutes. I mean, this thing was over in three months or something. He didn't want it to go any deeper. And I found it funny. What I found really funny is, you know, the Red Sox are supposedly linked to this. And J.D. Martinez for the Red Sox like, hey, I think we're being too hard on them. Like, you, you don't want to you don't want to be defending them. It's dead. It's like dead. Well, J.D. Give wants to J.D.'s trying to save that in-game video study. You know, he likes that. He likes being able to go back in the clubhouse in game and study video. And that's something that may be going away as a result of all this. So there's some there's some self-interest. If anyone speaks in any way that would seem to be in support of the Astros like that, there, there's probably some self-interest involved. And I think for J.D., that involves uh, that video study that you're able to do in game in Major League just, Baseball. That just, will likely be going away. I just think they could have gave some of the players suspensions. They didn't have to run them all at once. You could have had, you know, sort of like the football teams are allowed to do when multiple guys are suspended. You could have had, you know, Altuve sitting out 20 games at this stretch or Carlos Correa or whatever. I mean, they could have – I just don't see how you get away with it. And for the players not cheating, of course, you know, it is a huge deal. And the players that call stuff and that everything they're saying is true. I mean, you got guys like – Cody Bellinger, Mike Trout, Justin Turner. These are guys you don't hear a lot of controversy from. Trevor Bauer's one thing. He's a, you know, he's a he's a lightning rod for controversy. But these other guys, I, you don't ever hear from them for them to come out and just say it's a joke. You know, just as even more adamant. I mean, Carlos Correa, you know, Altuve yelled at him for doing it. Don't bang that, you know, don't bang that trash can, dang on it. I mean, I can't even imagine what what these discussions are about. It's ridiculous. Yeah, for me, if if I can pick a commissioner gig, it's got to be Roger Goodell's gig. Five years, two hundred million. Okay, oh, forty wow. million a year to be the commissioner of the National Football League. And look, all these guys are basically the same, right? They're put in those spots to essentially take the heat. How many of these commissioners get hammered on? Adam Silver, right now, the NBA is probably the exception, and he was a big star once again 
over the weekend because the NBA All-Star weekend was fantastic. And I, I'm, I'm a retro NBA fan. I, I, I watched more of the NBA All-Star weekend uh, th- this past weekend than I have in at least two decades. This, the dunk contest, uh, Aaron Gordon, Derek Jones Jr., Pat Connaughton. Uh, you know, it was outstanding Saturday night. The three-point shootout was great with Devin Booker um, and, and Buddy Hill in that final. And then the, the change of format to the game itself on Sunday night with the Elam ending uh, and how that worked with the target score there in the fourth quarter. It was it was great. Adam Silver continues to look tremendous with the NBA. Uh, Goodell takes heat. Manford's taking heat. Mark Emmert, the head of the NCAA, takes a lot of heat. All these guys take heat, though, and remain in their jobs, which tells you one thing. Financially, the bottom line for these leagues and the people that these commissioners and CEO types report to, owners and or presidents of universities, they're happy with the checks. They're happy with the revenue, Tim. That's why these these commissioners remain in place as long as they do. Yeah, I agree. I think it's almost, yeah. I mean, you see, you see like, like Jerry Jones never got really punished for anything he did until he, he tried to form a subgroup to oust Roger Goodell. Then, to move on Roger, yeah. Yeah, then when he did that, you know, looked up and Zeke Knight is suspended. I changed my mind, buddy. Goodell, hey, Goodell's got some, he's got a mafia vibe no. to him. You know, he's got well, a, you know, where's Tim Watts vibe to him buried in the end zone at, you know, giant state. He's got a vibe to him. Like, I'm not really going to mess with this guy. Jerry thinks he counts for about 10 owners, but at the end of the day, Jerry's still one of 32. And if the score is 31 to one in favor of Raja, guess who's going to lose in that deal? The one. I mean, he, that, and so, yeah. I'll tell you who's going to lose. Know, Zeke, the, Zeke Knight. I mean, Zeke Claus, Zeke Elliott. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. The bottom is. line is, the, the, the big part, you know, you think Mark Emmert really believes what he says when he testifies in front of Congress about, you know, player rights, student athlete rights when it comes to income potential and those things? He doesn't believe that crap, but no. he has to say it because he's representing you know what it, the, it, the, 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 the schools and yeah, the schools you, are making a ton of money. And as long as they're making money, they're happy with Mark Emmerich. And he's got to take bullets. These guys take like, bullets is what they I, do. I saw a documentary about the tobacco industry and they had them all lined up like Michael Corleone in front of Senator, whoever they're all at a table. And he asked them, do you think that tobacco is addictive? And all five of those bastards said, no. No, I do not. No, I do not. No, I do not. No, I do. Knowing that they had emails saying it's addictive, but they were figuring out how to make it more addictive. Yeah, they had to they they have to do that to get paid. That's what they're paid to do. You know, you whistle blow, you're going to be in the unemployment line, I'm guessing. (laughs) Hey, uh, Tim, it's a mock draft season Uh, before we head to the mailbag here in a second. And with that, uh, you're seeing Mel Kuyper Jr. come with his 2.0. You're seeing, uh, you know, CBSSports.com, uh, we partner with, certainly does a lot of that. Uh, and what you're seeing are a couple of things from the Alabama perspective. The Tua drumbeat seems to be picking up more and more. He passed that recent mile marker, the three-month mark post-injury, 
seemingly in pretty good shape with that hip. And with that, as you would have expected, as we head into the combine next week, which is going to be another critical mile marker for him with all those teams and all the medical staffs and the poking and prodding that he's set to endure up there in Indianapolis. But uh, you're you're seeing guys like Bucky Brooks of NFL.com come out with his quarterback rankings for the draft, and he has Tua ahead of Joe Burrow. I think that raised a few eyebrows in recent days. Kuyper, in his latest mock, has Tua now as the number three overall pick to the Detroit Lions. What about it, Tim? Tua or Joe Burrow? Even with Tua dealing with this injury, uh, is it possible that Tua ends up going ahead of Joe Burrow come April? You know, I think it's possible. Um, but I think right now <clears throat> there's still a lot to be determined. NFL teams got to look at him. What do they feel feel about his medical results? How does he throw? There's so much. It's too early. Now, what this is is good. It's it's with Joe Burrow basically a lock number one. This is good discussion. It's giving us something to think about. It's almost like the Heisman where the uh, running back from Stanford was all of a sudden better than Mark Ingram. You know, it was like, oh, boy, this is going to be closer than we think. It gives us something to talk about, sort of. Sort of a self-built drama. I still think there's a lot to be determined with Tua. It wouldn't shock me to see Tua if uh, if all everything was even to go ahead of Burrow. But in Burrow's defense, I don't know what else the guy could have done to go number one in the draft. I don't know what else he possibly could have done this season. But I think going into the year, and even now, I think a lot of people think that Tua is one of the best passers they've ever seen. One of the most accurate, one of the most natural one of the most gifted, but you have to factor in the medical. You almost have to factor in Joe Burrow just did it for one year. So there's a little bit of question marks about him. I think they're both talented. <clears throat> I don't think Detroit's drafting a quarterback, though, right? So, Well, it depends on what they want to do with Matt Stafford. You know, if they can deal Matt Stafford to say the Chargers are one of those teams in need of a quarterback, they could be in the market, but yeah, as it sits right now, you wouldn't think Detroit would make as much sense. Uh, is it, it? Here's here's the way I see the the two of Burrow thing. If you want the higher floor, then go Joe Burrow, because you know what you're going to get. You're going to get durability. You're going to get some it factor. You're going to get a, a quality passer. I don't think he's an elite passer projecting him to the NFL on the same level as Tua, but certainly you have to take the ability to show up and start on a weekly basis in that league uh, very, very seriously. And Joe Burrow has shown you he can do that. I think the rules in the NFL make it even more likely that Joe Burrow is going to maintain that ability to to stay on the field. Uh, That's the great unknown with Tua. But if we're talking about just elite passers in this draft. There's Tua and there's everybody else. And I've said this before. If you can guarantee me that Tua is going to have a window of a decade where he's going to make 90% of the uh, potential starts that are available to him, I'm taking Tua. I'm taking Tua every day of the week. Uh, but 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 with the floor aspect of it, I, I think I think you have to look at Burrow. I, I, where I wonder about with Burrow, Tim, and I, I appreciate the historic nature of the 2019 season. Incredible. How much better is Joe Burrow going to get at the next level? This is a fifth-year senior. This is an older dude. This isn't a three and out. What 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 do you envision the ceiling being for Joe Burrow at the next level? <laughs> 
I think we sort of saw what he is last year. I mean, he's a <clears throat> really smart, has a lot of intangibles, um, you know, reads the field really well. I mean, let's be honest. I was that both Tua and him played in the, two of the most explosive offenses we've ever seen. Great wide receivers across the board. I mean, so much talent. I mean, for me, when I look, this mock draft falls the way it is. I really feel like, you know, uh, Herbert from Oregon's the big winner because he's going to Miami and these guys are going to Detroit, Cincinnati. You know, I yeah. feel. I mean, like, I don't. I I wouldn't envy going number one. I get the pride, but I'm not sure the Bengals are ever really going to win. I'm not sure who they've got. They haven't really set up the blocks for to to protect or build around a quarterback like this. Detroit certainly hasn't. Um, you know, you almost, you know, you almost have to, you know, that's that. Those are two rough situations to go into, you know. I mean, look at Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford's one of the most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen. I watch him all the time in the NFL. That dude can play football, and nobody knows it. I you love know, Matt Stafford, man. He is a because I like the I like the gunslinger. He and that's Matt is Stafford. a monster. And I think Tua, I think Tua could be a, a Matt Stafford type in the NFL. I think Tua may I turn agree. it over a little bit at the next I mean, level like, because Tua, like Stafford, is going to take his shots, you know. Hey, and the NFL is okay with that, I think, for the most part. But you know, the problem is if, in the with, with the Lions. Who are you taking your shot to? You know, they traded yeah. a Golden Tate. They just don't have a lot of talent. I mean, just you know, it's to debate debate itself. Me personally, I'm an upside guy. When we're doing rankings and we're talking about that, I'm an upside guy. Um, so to me, two has got the biggest upside between the two. Uh, Burrow is going to be 24 this year. Um, you know, so he's a couple years ahead, older than Tua. But I, Burrow in the right situation, in the right team. Yeah. Like if you put Burrow with the Saints, for instance, I feel like the Saints would be a really good team next year. I think Burrow's got that t- kind of talent. I don't know about what you do in a situation with just no real talent around him. You know, sort of like the Bengals would be. Can he, can he, ride, can he raise all boats? Is he yeah. that type of talent? at the quarterback position. And that's where I come up a little short with Joe Burrow. Even if A.J. Green, who is getting up there in years now, is some semblance of previous A.J. Green in Cincinnati, is that enough? Uh, Got some decent running backs there in Cincinnati. Got some pieces to go around him. Uh, But, you know, I've heard the comparison of Joe Burrow to the guy that Cincinnati's looking to replace, Andy Dalton. And I don't think that's all that far off when I think about what Joe Burrow will be as a pro. And that, that's look, that's not a bad thing. Andy Dalton, for all the criticisms, uh, was a multi-pro bowl type guy. Uh, you know that that program, that franchise, though, just as we know in the postseason, just has never been able to really get over the hump in the recent era. So yeah, it'll be interesting to watch as we move into the combine. Next week, how much of the combine will you watch, Tim? You know, it's moving into more of a primetime situation. Going to try to go for those TV ratings this year in Indy. I love it. I don't think I'm normal in some ways. I will, <laughs> I will watch those guys run around and play all day in their in their uh, their regular clothes. I love I love it. I love to watch them run. I love to watch them jump. I love the one on ones. Everything about it, I'll tape it and go back and watch it. A lot of times I'll do that and sort of skip through all the drama between 40s. Um, but I love it. I think it's a big deal. Uh, I've seen most, you know, I watch a lot of those guys their whole career. Seen a lot of them their whole, you know, in you know at least two years in high school. So I like to see 
if my thoughts of them in high school are going to pair up with what, you know, what they turned into as an NFL guy. I like the draft. I saw some NFL teams are starting not to send as many people, which I agree with. I think you really just need the numbers, right? Yeah, pretty much. It doesn't matter how I got them. You need your medical staff there. You need your medical staff there more than you need your coaching staff, don't you think? And even the interviews, I mean, the interviews are 15-minute short interviews. You're not getting to know anybody. That's like speed dating. You're not really getting to know anybody. In 15 minutes, they can't come unglued. So they're on their they're very, on your PIs. Yeah, they're on, they're on very best behavior for 15 minutes. You know, I'd rather I'd rather want to be on their campus. You know, like the you know the guys that visit the schools and sitting down with the kids and talking to them and all that kind of stuff with their coaches. So um, definitely, I'll watch it. I'm really excited to see what Henry Ruggs does. I mean, I see Kuiper's got him at 22 in this draft, and maybe he's right, but I think I think the guy if he falls that far, I think he's the steal of the draft. I'm a Huge rugs guy, especially if they're going to use him as a punt returner. Um, I think there's something special about him, similar to Tyreek Hill. I don't think that speed, and I'm really dying to know what he's going to what he's going to run. Yeah, uh, his forty might be pay per view altogether. Yeah. And I, here, here you go, four three. I'll set the over under for his forty at four three. You going over or under that for Henry Ruggs III? I never get the over under right on these. I always. <laughs> I'm going under. I'm going under. I would too. I I'd go I've under four three. I've, ta- I've talked to people that said his goal, and he's training. He was training in Tampa. I'm assuming he still is. His goal was to get down there in that four two four four two two range, and yeah. that dude can run. And I think he's a game. You know, and it's not just he's a speed guy. He's a football player. Yeah, he is. He's got tough balls. Dude. I mean, he's got ball skills. He'll block. I mean, that's a tough dude. Covers Some, kicks. Yeah, covers kickoffs. That is a guy. Yeah. I mean, his high school basketball film and i covered aau for years is as good as the just the highlights as anybody i saw i mean this guy's sticking his whole arm on the you know in, in on a break during a game sticking his whole arm in the basket so crazy athlete skilled athlete i've said it wouldn't shock me if he went ahead of judy who i think is going to be a a fantastic pro now he might go you know he's not as big he might not go as high but i think he's really going to do some testing i might be wrong but i don't think i am no, I agree with you on Henry Ruggs III. Somebody's getting a great all-around football player. Hey, let's head to the BOL roundtable mailbag for today's pod. Let's start with our guy, Saban18. He goes right out the gate, Tim. He wants our list of the top five football coaches in SEC history. I'll go ahead and give you the two right. We'll, we'll formulate this together, Tim. I'll go Saban and Paul Bear Bryant one, two. Do you have it one, two, Saban, Bryant, or do you have it the other way around? I don't know. My, my biggest I love dilemma. I the sigh. The sigh. I don't yeah. know. I just don't feel like I can win here. You know, I just, it's such, like you said, it's such a generational deal. You know, I think it's just what you saw. I mean, what Barry Bryant did was unprecedented. What Nick Saban did unprecedented. My first question to this was, does Nick Saban count twice? Because isn't he a top 10 that, coach? Exactly. If you exactly. include you gotta LSU, consider LSU. Yeah. I'm, he's definitely a top ten coach in the all time SEC yep. at LSU, and he's definitely a top two coach at Alabama. So, you know, um I would go Nick Saban because I'm more familiar with him and I've seen him. Um I would bear I would not argue it with anybody that said Bear Bryant though. If you want to talk icon, then I go Bear Bryant. If you want to talk the the total package, the football coach, the uh 
the the what he represented to not only a state but an entire region uh for the most part and uh the impact on the game in general icon for me it's paul bear bryant coach i'm gonna go nick saban now if we go one two in any order there it gets kind of tough three through five you know, you're going to go General Nealon of Tennessee. If you go way back, you're going to go Johnny Vault. But you got to consider eras in which a lot of these guys coached. There was uh, there was before integration in Southeastern Conference football. That's where Bryant kind of proved it, right? He did it before and after that. So yeah, I agree. He made a lot of transition, and he was in a period where they just decided you can win your bowl game at number one, and they just said, nah, we're good. We're going to put somebody else up there. So Nick Saban is at least playing pretty much on a level playing field. Um, across. And he did it pre-playoff era and in the playoff era. Yeah, so that's Saban's another, that's another yeah. transition. I mean, think of the changes from when Nick Saban became a head coach at Michigan State to now. Mm-hmm. They've made a million changes, too, so both of them are, are great. But, yeah, when you look, like I don't, I don't know as much as I probably should as – you know, How about you know, Steve Spurrier or Urban Meyer? Where see, would you have two, them in your top five? Those two for me are really high. Yeah. Uh, would you uh, have Spurrier ahead of Urban Meyer? Urban would. had one more national title. I would. Spurrier, Spurrier. I'm just change that whole deal down there. I'm just a Spurrier guy. I mean, the way he did it, yeah. the way he did it with Flair. I mean, Urban Meyer walked into a, a pretty good situation. Um, Without shoot. Steve Spurrier, Tim. Urban Meyer probably is the head coach at Notre Dame instead of Florida, right? Because Spurrier made Florida. Spurrier made Florida as attractive as it as it was. Well, don't forget after the tra- Ron Zook. Who is? Yeah, Ron Zook was recruiting his behind off of, of Florida. He left. There was a ton of talent. He had a table yeah. set. Now, obviously, Urban Meyer was a great recruiter, but that table was set pretty good. Ron Zook, I remember him recruiting. Um, you know, really, you know, at the level he did, which was a really high level, he's getting like Chad Jackson out of Hoover and finishing second for Jamarcus Russell. He was all over the country getting guys. So the table was set. Me, I'm a Spurrier guy. I like the cockiness. I like the trash talk. And I like that dude just straight up, you know, you know, I just, I love, I love, I love everything about Steve Spurrier. I just think about he's the Vince Dooley. Thing. Yeah. You get into Dooley. Vince Dooley, won a couple hundred games. Nealon was really good. I think Fulmer's got to be in there somewhere in the discussion. I don't know where you put yeah. him. But I think yeah. they had a really good run. Um, Other than Saban at LSU, Charlie McClendon, what about Les Miles? Um, you know, know. It, it gets tough once you get past really those four for me, I could say for sure. Saban, Bryant, Spurrier, Meyer. Um, even Mark Rick at Georgia had a pretty nice run. I mean, when you just look at the raw data, it lacks a national title, obviously, um, but multiple yeah. SEC titles. You're right about Fulmer. He has to be in that discussion as well. And when you get the older guys, this Neyland guy, I just pulled it up. His, his, uh, accolades are freaking off the yeah. chart. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that guy was, you know, that Paul guy was Diesel at LSU won a national championship with Billy Cannon. If we want to go way back, what about, what about just Alabama guys other than, uh, Saban and, and, uh, Bryant, Frank Thomas for crying out loud, Wallace Wade. I mean, Alabama beyond even Saban and Bryant could put another guy or two in that, in that top five, if you really wanted to argue it. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned the off. Shug Jordan, he's another one that's got tremendous records. Like I said, I'm not familiar with Did these Gene guys. Gene Stallings get some mention? 
Guy won 70 games in seven years, won a national championship. Yeah, he would for me. Just the Alabama coaches, you know, if if we didn't want to spread the wealth, really, you know, we could we could go heavy on Alabama, no doubt about it. Let's keep it moving in the mailbag. Uh, Big Blue Cat 96 asks, the Charlie Strong talks and how can he impact the tide in terms of recruiting and coaching? And Tim, I guess that depends on sort of, the role he has if, in fact, that becomes finalized with Charlie Strong joining this Nick Saban staff. Yeah, I mean, Strong has – you know, it's been a while since he's been a coordinator. You know, it's – it's it's and again, you know, half of being a great anything is the talent. I mean, certainly at Florida he has some great talent. Um, I mean, just some tremendous defensive talent, you know, he had there. Uh, I think the biggest thing he did is Alabama recruits fine. I know, I know the fans tend to freak out anytime Alabama loses a guy – and next year they'll lose a guy and say, this hasn't ever happened till this year. Well, yeah, it happened every year I've ever covered it. So <laughs> I wouldn't overreact to the losing them. Um, but I think the biggest thing a guy like Charlie Strong brings is experience. Sure. You know, he's, I mean, is this, what all has this guy seen? What all has this guy been through? Um, he's definitely learned lessons along the way. And, you know, when you look at a guy like Pete, who's still young, those are, that's the kind of things that could probably help him the most is, you know, guys who've been through it and that kind of stuff. Now, um, I don't think it hurts recruiting. I mean, the guy spent several years recruiting in Florida. He's got, you know, some connections in Texas, I'm assuming, from having been there. So there's to me, there's no negative in bringing him on board. Yeah, Charlie Strong, you're right, in Florida, and I believe specifically in South Florida, uh, has had a presence throughout the years. and um you know, I think, uh, you well, look at Louisville's quarterbacks, right? Teddy Bridgewater, Lamar Jackson. Uh, and, and you go back to sort of the, the time that Charlie Strong spent at Louisville and overlapping a little bit into when he went to Texas. Uh, that would certainly be a consideration, I would think, from that standpoint as well. Boo A.U. in the mailbag uh, says, Last year, Saban said that the players needed to get back to the Bama way of doing things. If you could make such a proclamation this year in regards to the upcoming season, what would it be? What does this Alabama team need to do in relation to the Bama way? And look, I think Nick Saban was talking about his coaching staff too, not just the players. When I he believe said that. that yeah. You know, after that performance against Clemson out in Santa Clara, I, I think that was just as much towards his coaching staff as it was the players. But what about this next team, Tim? Uh, where do you see it needing to, to, to get back to that standard the most? You know, I think it's just, you know, buy in, you know, buy into what they're trying to do, buy in. That's what's worked in the past, basically buy in or, or buy out, you know, it's almost like buying yourself out of a contract. I mean, for, you know, we've talked several times already on this show about these older guys that need to step up, you know, that's going to be buying in and doing what it takes. I can tell you this a guy like Dylan Moses is is setting the pace that's a guy out there that's working you got some guys that are working uh really hard and uh you got some guys sort of in the middle you got freshmen i feel that are going to come in who are already bought in and i think part of that was the recruiting philosophy with that with that that you know get back to the bama way i think that was it i mean you had you know you had some prima donnas you had some guys that had maturity issues and i think they did a great job you know, you never can totally predict what a teenager will do, but a great job of not really messing with guys with a lot of warning, you know, red flags. 
So I think that's a big thing. But I think it's buying in, selling out, you know, doing what you got to do to catch up to that guy in front of you. Um, and for those that have a chance to step up, because this isn't seniority. This isn't 1950, you know, a business office where, hey, Travis, you're getting the promotion because you've been here longer, even though Tim's better. They're going to play the best guy available. So no doubt about that. But I think you're right. I think one of the curses of the 2019 team is going to end up being a blessing when you talk about Dylan Moses and Josh McMillan coming back, LeBron Ray, a veteran coming back off of injury on that defensive front. And that's where it starts for me to get back to being Alabama. It's got to be that way on the defensive side of the ball and specifically right there in the front seven. You know, you can't have teams bullying Alabama uh, in, in that front seven and, and claim to be that Bama team or the Bama way or the Bama standard, however you want to word it. Uh, Moses, his presence, both intangibly and tangibly, should help in that regard. Uh, a year of taking some lumps for some young guys. Uh, should end up being beneficial in the big picture scheme of things. Uh, that's where it is for me anyway, when you talk about the Bama way moving forward. Papa Houndstooth in the mailbag, Tim. He asks, when do we think Alabama will release the jersey numbers and measurements for the early enrollees? Well, if you go to that RollTide.com roster right now, the early enrollees are listed on the roster. No jersey numbers as of yet. And in checking on this, it was about this time last year that we saw those jersey numbers come out for those uh, 2019 early enrollees. I don't know specifically what Alabama's plan is for doing that. I would think it would be at some point in advance of the start of spring drills. Uh, UA at times sort of works on their own schedule when it comes to stuff like that. Uh, and uh, I don't think it rates in terms of priority uh, for the folks over off Bryant Drive, as it does as much for the Alabama fans. But again, based on a year ago, uh, it was about this time that we saw the jersey numbers. Now, measurements are part of the listing of those guys that right now on that roster at RollTide.com, how accurate those are. Um, I don't think, I don't know if they've been updated entirely since the early enrollees have been on campus. So uh, as that becomes available, I know Charlie potter and our staff at uh, bamaonline.com we're going to make you aware of that as soon as alabama makes us aware of it crimson d247 tim uh says he's asked this question once before uh and wants to know what do we think of a pod system of scheduling where each team in the sec would play three permanent opponents and five rotational games in conference play, uh, it would give every player the opportunity to play every team in the conference and visit every stadium in a four-year period. Do we ever see the conference adopting this type of conference schedule? I think for that to happen, maybe the the next step would be a nine-game conference schedule going from eight to nine, and that would maybe give you some more flexibility in terms of rotational games. And I guess you got to balance two uh, number of games against the East, and obviously your your standard opponents from your uh, Western Division perspective. But I like it. I think it absolutely should happen. It it's a shame, Tim, that we go six, seven, eight years in some instances without teams playing each other in the regular season. You know, yeah. I, it, it, it's a problem. 
I would think it's so unlikely they do that, like you said, right out of the gate. I'd be all for it, though, because, I mean, Alabama and Georgia, Tennessee and Auburn, those are some fun matchups. People like to see Florida versus Alabama, Florida versus Auburn. Um, any of those mixes and matches, especially like Alabama plays Georgia. It's one of the craziest things. This heated Alabama-Georgia rivalry, like on message boards, it is like one of the hottest ones I've seen. And they play each other like once every 11 years or something, it seems like overall, um, for the most part. You know, so I think it'd be good. I know Georgia fans are super excited to be coming to Tuscaloosa in the third game of the year. I know Alabama fans are, you know, all about it, you know. So I think it's fun. And you remember the last time Alabama went to Georgia, it was just there was a lot of hype. That was the whole, you know, you know, Cochran, why are they wearing black? Because they're going to a funeral. I mean, there was a lot of hype, pregame hype, trash talking. Very clean game, just a very competitive game. So when you got two of those heavyweight boxers, top five teams, play, and I think it's great for football, not just the SEC, but but for football. I think it's a great, you know, it's a great deal. I mean, when's the it last is. time? When's the last time Alabama's even played Florida? Well, in the regular season, that was 2014, I believe. Remember Blake Sims went off. Uh, in that right. game here in Tuscaloosa with Will oh, Muschamp as the head coach of the Gators. Yeah, it's been a while. And I'll tell you where else it would help. You got these stadiums that you're having a hard time filling up these days. You want to get butts in seats and create more of uh, excitement and uh, you know a demand uh, to, to actually go to games. I think it would definitely help in that regard, too. And, and I agree. I, I think for the players, you would love for them to experience all the different venues and the in the teams within the league, but it'll all come down to money eventually, right? It, it's it's <laughs> the student athlete experience isn't at the top of that list. When they figure out how it can simultaneously help in ticket sales and actual attendance and uh, with TV ratings, that's when you'll see it go into effect. And that's when I think more so along the lines of a nine game SEC schedule, maybe even 10. It's, you know, point. I think, if they expand, if they expand the playoffs, I'm not saying they will, but if they do, I think it'll be a little easier too because that loss to Alabama or Georgia for them won't be, you know, you could still have two losses and, and get into an expanded playoff. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're Georgia and your loss is to Alabama and earlier in the year, and then to a one one loss LSU team in the uh, or an undefeated LSU team in the SEC championship game, you've still got a pretty good tech case for losing once to Alabama, who ended up with one loss in this scenario, and LSU, who was undefeated, you certainly got a case to be in an eight-man playoff, I would think, because both those teams will be top five. So that that would help it a little, you know, that would certainly help it where teams aren't so worried, you know, worried about it. So there you go. That's going to put a wrap on the T-Watts and TR mailbag for this Tuesday edition of the program on the Built by Bama online podcast. And with that, Tim, I think we're good here. I think yeah. it's time to get on out of here, and uh, it's been a lot of fun as usual. Yeah, loved it. With that, for Tim Watts, I'm Travis Schreier. Thanking you once again for joining us, not only here on the Built by Bama online podcast, but of course at BamaOnline.com. Join us on the roundtable, the premium message board for BOL subscribers. You will certainly enjoy that. Anything else, Tim, as we get out of here? No, that was it. I was about to say, appreciate everybody showing up. Love the mailbag questions, as always. We try to get to them all, but we love the uh, we love it more when y'all get testy because we forgot it. That, <laughs> that shows me you're listening, and I made sure we got my man today. 
Because if you're mad we didn't ask it, that means you listened, and we appreciate yeah. it. We got you, Crimson D247. We got you today. No problem with that. So there you go. Tim Watts, Travis Ryer, join us again on T Watts and TR on the Built by Bama online podcast real soon. Thanks, everybody. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.